Let's listen to God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, whose apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Ivy. Good morning. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we are starting an 18-week series on the speaking in tongues what you were expecting when you showed up this morning, right? We just figured it would take that long to really unpack this central element of the Christian faith. No, that is not what we're doing. Plus, the screen betrays me. Um, really glad you're here. The, um, we've been in a series since the beginning of the year because we're focusing in this third year of our ministry vision around the idea of becoming the kind of people who live out their calling in community. The kind of people who have a sense of clear sense of calling and are then stepping out into the world and living it out within the context of a community. And what's awesome about this morning's passage and what we're going to be focusing on in particular is that it has both elements in it. It's like wonderful. So it's going to be a great thing. Here's the thing though. We've been, we've been talking a lot about calling 
calling as a very particular way, like that there's an opportunity for you to step in and get a sense of what your calling may be, that there's false versions of your calling. We talked about that through the series of Jeremiah, that there's a stewardship that comes with your calling. We talked about the legacy that you get to leave. So we, we spent about six weeks talking about the particularity, particularities of a special, of the special calling that God has on your life. And then Steve spent the last three weeks articulating some of the reality of the general calling that belongs to every single Christian, every single believer from the Great Commission, um, all the way down to the fact that we are called to do justly, that we do justly. So this, this week we're going to do is we get to do a little bit of both. This is just, isn't it amazing? It's like part of vision. It's, it's part general calling, part specific calling. You're excited. I can feel it. I can feel it. Um, so we're going to jump straight in, okay? Because there's a lot to cover here. There's, there's actually... Um, an opportunity for us to, in my hope, is to maybe revitalize or maybe reinfuse with some of the hope and delight that the scripture offers us in what it means to live out our spiritual gifts together. So here's a couple things that we emerged out of the first kind of the beginning elements of, of this passage. Now, if, if I'm guessing based on, well, just knowing some of y'all, depending on where you grew up or what kind of context you grew up in, you probably have a mixed relationship or a, maybe a varied relationship with spiritual gifts, right? Some, for some of you, maybe it was like, like kind of really muted and like cautionary tale, like don't be the crazies, you know, or, or don't be the, the people, the, the cessationists, you know, people who say that doesn't, things don't exist anymore. Or, and some of you maybe grew up in charismatic context. We actually have some folks here that grew up and it's like, man, it's like praying in tongues, miracles are happening, people are like prophesying as in future telling, and, and there's a lot of energy around that. And then and some of us, it, we kind of maybe land in that middle place where it's like not no and not yes, it's more like it's for the special people. And I don't know, like maybe I just wasn't in class the day things got handed out or something. And, and I think, unfortunately, it's possible that for, for too many of us, that, that's where we are. We're like, hey, spiritual gifts are that really interesting thing that we talk about every once in a while in the Christian faith and that go back on the shelf. And they're like, if you pull them out, because you know, you need to answer a question, then you do so. I think there's supposed to be more. And I believe Paul and Christ through Paul is trying to tell us that there's more to them. So in verses 4, four through 13, the Apostle Paul takes spiritual gifts and he basically just tells us very fundamental things about him. That's what we're going to do. He's going to look at what does Paul say specifically about spiritual gifts? Well, he says this. He says that there's many gifts, right? There's varieties, he says. There's not just a couple. If you go through some of the inventories we have, there's 21, maybe up 21, maybe 23 gifts, some say 12, some say 17. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is there's not a couple. There's this variety. And we read a bunch of the examples just a minute ago. So there's many gifts. It's not just a couple. And every believer has one. Do you hear how the sound went down just so you could hear that? You have one or more than one. Gift mixes probably. You have a spiritual gift. No one was left out of class that day. So not only does every believer have one, but there's variety in the distribution, it says, right? It says to another, and to another has been given, and to another was given. Everyone's not the same. It's not uniformity. Next we see that they are gifts. They're graces. They are graces. They are given. Spiritual gifts are something that have been given to you. You didn't, you didn't earn them. You didn't impress God to get them. It wasn't some matter of some, some means of effort that got you to a place where God was like, okay, finally you deserve this. No, it's gift. It is grace. It's not based on qualification, merit, or character. And, and they are spiritual spiritual gifts, right? That they're empowered by the spirit of God. They're, they're different than natural abilities. Everyone who's made in the image of God has certain natural abilities, but like no one has a spiritual gift of singing. It's just, no one, some of you can sing and you're awesome and you're amazing. And some of us, you know, we fumble around a bit and then we sing on stage and people tell us never to do that again. Things like that, you know, but, but like, Singing is not a spiritual gift. These are spiritual gifts. These are things that have been given by the Spirit and that are empowered by the Spirit. So they're not natural abilities. They're not acquired skills. And let me give you a word of caution here too. Gifting and character aren't the same thing. Gifting and character aren't the same thing. Just because someone is even bearing a great deal of fruit with the spiritual gifts that they have in spiritual context does not necessarily equate 
to a mature faith or to a holy life. Think of King Saul. He's prophesying and he's a hot mess, disobeying the Lord right and left. And, and how many contemporary leaders have we see, seen have significant influence, bearing gifts of maybe even charismatic influence, and yet then fundamentally being revealed as having no character underneath? They're not the same thing. So let us be wise. The other thing we see here is that they are apportioned as God wills. This is pivotal. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose. He chooses, which is, depending on how you feel about it, really, really good news or, or really, really bad news. But Paul tells us God chooses. It's not a menu. It's not something we get to sign up for. God chooses. And lastly, spiritual gifts are for one purpose the common good. They're not personal spiritual gifts. They're not for you. Verse 7 really summarizes the total reality around what it means when we talk about spiritual gifts, that to each is given, so to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the Spirit of Jesus in the church being manifested so that everyone else benefits. That's spiritual gifts. That's what Paul tells us in those first nine verses. And the picture we get through the Apostle Paul, especially in, in the early epistles, is, is this picture of this vibrant, vivid, vivid life that comes through these spiritual gifts being exercised and lived out amongst the body, amongst one another. And it has energy and, and zeal. And of course, it has abuses because that always comes with it. And of course, the letter to 1 Corinthians is just that, an argumentation and articulation of some of the abuses, some of the ways in which things are being taken too far. But the emphasis, to be clear, is not on the individual specific gift. It's what the Spirit is choosing to manifest in the variety of ways in which he chooses, which should make us curious about his desires. Like, what are his desires in light of the particular makeup of Roswell Community Church? If he has gifted Roswell Community Church through all those who belong to Jesus in a particular sets of gift, what's he up to? He's doing something in the unique makeup that is our church because he's doing something. This is a, a God orientation gifting, not a self orientation. Paul's articulating this, this functional unity that these gifts bring to the church and to the people as they interact with one another. The simplest definition, I think, is Grudem's, which he says, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church, not in the church, any ministry of the church. So what, in the midst of looking at these gifts, what do we do with them? That's the reality. There's many gifts. Everyone's got one, at least one, more than one. It's not about you. It's about what God's given you. You don't get to choose. All those things are true. But how do we respond? What do we do? So what? I think there's really three responses in particular that we can have that I think the text invites us to. Two of them are self-preoccupied, and one of them is self-forgetful. So let's look at the self-preoccupied. This side of the room, y'all are good, so it's really y'all. Um, there's really, there's two responses of self-preoccupation. The first one is a, a diminished sense or, or a shrunken view of our gifts. And so those of us in the room today who would go like, yeah, I, I got, I got, I got like the short straw. Like I got picked last on the Jesus team and they sent me to right field. But then they put the really good player next to me so that just in case the ball came there, you know, it's a World Series thing. I'm trying to work with baseball. Come on, go with me here. I think of this particular, as you read in verse 15, it says, if, if the foot should say, and again, remember, times we're in, right? People are walking around in sandals. The feet are the gross part of the body, a gross part of the body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Paul's trying to argue with our sense of self, with, with those of us who are saying, like Eeyore, thanks for noticing me. I practiced it. It didn't come off as well as I tried. <laughs> Thanks. Eh, whatever. But this is a characteristic, right? Think about Eeyore, right? He's, it's almost like he's like everything he gets, he's like, yeah, but, 
But there's a better story for someone else. It's, it's the imagery, it's the picture of, of characterized by shame. Is there something wrong with me that I somehow didn't get what other people seem to get? I have little or, or just nothing to offer. I got the short end of the stick, and now I, all I have to offer is the short end of the sick stick. I got the short straw. What I offer is lame or it's worthless. And, and at the end of the day, that conviction is usually born out of something deep underneath that says, you know what, I don't even have any good spiritual gifts. I'm worthless. I don't have value. I'm not really needed. And that's true of, I think, way more people in the church than we'd like to admit. And Paul speaks directly to that. He says, no, that's not how it works. We long for someone else's gifts because... Because fundamentally, we just distrust that God knows what he's doing. That he, maybe we would do a better job. And maybe that, you know, he has to love me being Jesus, but maybe he doesn't like me so much. And so, well, yeah, I got nothing or barely anything. Verse 18 says, but as it is God... This word is amazing. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. And I think that everything we understand that verse to mean depends on what is the face and the hands of the God who is choosing and arranging. Because if, if we're looking at a God who's like, ah, clink, and, you know, over there, and, or like, oh, yeah, this is a good one, not so much. Like, what are the hands and the heart and the face of the God who is choosing and arranging? Because I suspect if, if we're believing, like, I don't have much, and what I have is not of much use, then what we believe about this God is that he is not arranging out of love. It is not out of grace that he's finding himself moved towards us to choose us for one another. Why do we long for other people's gifts? It's because fundamentally I think we don't understand what they're for. <laughs> Your spiritual gifts don't say anything about you. They, they just don't. All they say is that there is a God who chose, who chose to do this with you and for you. That's what it says. So if you got beef or someone's got beef, you can have beef with God because he's the one who chose. But they don't say anything about you other than you belong to one who gives gifts. That's what it says about you. So we don't need someone else's. And we don't need to work really, really hard at maybe trying to matter more by doing, doing a whole lot more. Some of us are like, like the Martha complex, right? We're the martyrs. If I, since I can't seem to do anything particularly significant, I'll just do a lot of nothing. I work really hard, get really, really busy, and I'm, all, and I'm on first, second, and third base simultaneously. Second baseball reference. But right, but we're those people, right? We're like, oh, if I can just, I don't seem to have anything that's particularly impressive, so I'll just, I'll be everywhere. And, and then maybe I'll matter. Maybe I'm acceptable then. We suffer from shame. And I don't offer, or the other, so it's either I do everything or I'm out. I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to offer anything to anyone. But verse 22 tells us, and we'll get to that in a minute, but it says, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, Paul says. So who suffers when we say I'm out or I don't have anything significant? Everyone suffers. You suffer. The body suffers. God is dishonored. The giver of the gifts is dishonored and suffers. God is grieved. Since they're gifts, Romans 12, which also talks about spiritual gifts, tells us something very straightforward. In Romans 12, verse 6, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us use them. Wow. That's like the straight, most straightforward application ever, right? So since we've got these gifts, they're gifts, you didn't ask for them, you didn't choose them, they're given to you by God, what, must, what should we do with these? What, what should we do with these? It, well, let, us, let us use them. Like it's the, it's the, I think it's one of the most straightforward, awesome invitations. Like, hey, what if 
Having received these things, we just used them and trusted God with them. What would happen? I promise you there is no spiritual gift of sitting. And so give yourself to circumstances and situations where you can experience the grace of God as he uses his grace in you through the gift that by grace he gave to you. Lots of grace abounding in all of those things. And by the way, this applies also, I think, this particular quadrant, this idea of shame, or it applies also to, the, to those that are either that are cynical or indifferent about spiritual gifts. I just want to remind you, you were, you were redeemed by one who at great cost to himself gave, in a sense, a piece of himself through his spirit, a gift, an element of the spirit that's being manifested of himself, of his sacrifice to you so that you would have impact on the community that God's given you to. There is no cynicism to be had there. There is no like, well, well, it is, it is, like, it is like taking something precious given at great cost and saying, I just don't know that it really matters. Loved ones, it, it matters. Not only does it matter, but it's really, really good. And secondly, it's really, really powerful because it comes from him who has power. So as a, a quick aside, how do you know what your gifts are? That for some of you, you may be really clear on this. I, I mean, just by show of hands, how many of you feel like, I feel really, really clear about my spiritual gift or gift mix? How many, just real hands, come on. Come on, all the way up, let me see. Okay, how, much, how many of you feel kind of in that middle place where you're kind of like, I, I, I have maybe a couple ideas, haven't maybe used them a ton quite yet, but I, I have some general sense. You have some general sense? Okay, so that's a lot. How many of you feel like, honestly, Spiritual gives what? Like, I'm not quite sure exactly what those look. Anybody have like kind of just a sense of like, I don't have, I don't really know. I mean, I, I've pretended, but I don't actually know. So I'm talking about, <laughs> it's a safe place. We are where we are. Why are we talking about that, right? God can only meet you where you really are. So, so here's, here's a simple way of trying to think through and, and maybe evaluating what your spiritual gifts are. There's really three elements. It's fruit, it's delight or joy, and it's affirmation and testimony. Those are the three ways. Does it have fruit? Is it delighting to your own soul? Do you have joy when you live out this gifting? And third, do people go like, yep, yep, that's there. I see it, I've, I've experienced it, I've, I've delighted in it, I've been impacted by it. The example would be like when you, so let's just talk about fruit first, right? Like when you share the gospel, do people come to Jesus? Like that would be a fruit thing, right? Like I share the gospel, people come to Jesus, maybe I have the gift of evangelism, right? That, that's one of those elements that could be at play. When you, when you show, show mercy, do people feel comforted? When you explain or, or when, you, when you teach what the Bible means and what it's saying, can, can people learn it and are they able to apply it to their lives? Or maybe you have the gift of teaching. So, that, so there's fruit and then there's delighting, right? There's a sense of internal joy that we're collaborating with the spirit of God in the work of God. So when you exercise your gift of helps or you're supporting others or right, spontaneously meeting their needs, do you feel alive? Do you feel, do you feel pleasure? Do you feel the pleasure of God? Do you feel buoyant? You might have the gift of helps. Are you excited? Are you excited when you get the opportunity to give even when it's going to cost you, literally, whether financially or otherwise? You have the gift of giving. One of the great tells on this is, do you have those moments where you didn't or you missed an opportunity and it, and it grieves you? Like you're sad. You're like, I, I knew I should have said that. I knew I should have written. I knew I should have gone over. I, that, that moment. That grief moment, or whatever you're grieving about is potentially very much likely to be a spiritual gift. And lastly, just testimony and affirmation. Has your, let's see, your gift of discernment of what's, you know, authentically, what's authentic and what's not, what's of God and what's not, has it been shown to be true by people or just by time? We have people here who have like been incredibly like pivotal in the history of our church because they had the gift of discernment to be able to be like, 
that just doesn't line up. Something's off here, and we want to just raise a flag because something seems peculiar. Do strangers in your neighborhood or newcomers here at the church be particularly welcomed? Do they feel seen by you? Do they feel remembered or a particular aspect of you? Maybe you have gifts of hospitality. So that's some of the ways in which we know. Those are the three kind of directives. And, and one of the ways in which, what's fascinating about this is it's, it's one of the ways in which we know that we're alive ourselves spiritually. You may know all your spiritual gifts. You may have a sense of like, oh yeah, it's this, this, and this. But this is the same litmus test of like, are we living the spiritual life? Am I living alive in Christ? Is the spirit of God alive in me? Am I experiencing these things? Is there, is there fruit in our lives? Is there, are there people that are saying, I just want you to know you showed up and I was affected. Are you, are you leaving? Are you, we were talking about this, about this in preaching a couple weeks ago. It's like, do, do we come to church anticipating, looking for, expecting to be like, cool, I wonder how I'm going to get to use my, my spiritual gifts today. Like, I wonder what means God is going to give me to, to intersect with or to move towards or to, to see something, to see a gap and step into it. Are my ears attuned because I know that I'm a part of a set of people gifted by God for the common good? That's how we know. That's, that's what mature life looks like in Jesus. So what I did, by the way, for those of you who maybe aren't sure or would like to just do a revisitation or kind of a re-engagement, um, I, I posted our uh, Life on Mission guide, which has within it um, the spiritual gift, gift inventory. And full disclaimer, spiritual gift inventories are just notoriously not great. Just, I don't know why that is. I don't know why no one seems to be able to make a good one. And if you know of a great one, awesome, please send it. This is the one we use. So how about that? How, are you feeling inspired to do this now? We have this half-baked thing that's kind of average, but really you should be excited about doing it. Uh, I should practice that more. Okay, so bottom line is it's on the app. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be on Facebook Connect. So you can go on there. You can actually review this. It could be a great conversation with your community group or, um, or even with your spouse, friends, to be able to say, hey, okay, let's, let me revisit this. I have maybe this nascent or, or, or maybe, maybe sleeping gift in me that is to be manifested, and what is it? And how do I move with it and, and towards people? I also have a special note here. It says, you don't need your pastor's permission or an ideal context to exercise your gifts. In case you're wondering, you don't need my permission. <laughs> you don't need the elder's permission. Like it, the spirit of God empowers gifting. And so y'all go. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not, there's not like a, there's not a form we fill out. Like you got to give some mercy, like go be merciful. All right. So, two reactions, two responses, self-preoccupation. The first is diminished sense of self, right? The, the shrunken view of what I offer or the dismissive, cynical view of what I offer. The Spirit of God says there's, there's another way. The second, um, the second pre self-preoccupied view is an inflated self. An inflated self, a bloated view of our gifts, a focus on what, not what I'm not, a focus on what I am. Uh, the Winnie the Pooh character for this would be Rabbit. You know what I'm talking about. Rabbit thinks he's the best. He thinks everybody should be like Rabbit. And, well, sometimes people should be like Rabbit. And he always has to come around. Do you remember, I don't know if you guys were any of the Pooh fans, or maybe just not recently, that's fine too. But like, do you guys remember when Tigger shows up on the scene, on any of the scenes? Like, what's, what's, um, what's Rabbit's disposition? It's like, oh, not him. Yeah. That's verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This is the disposition, the heart disposition that says, in comparison to me, you just don't have much to offer. What I offer is, well, just better, more important, which means that I'm probably, and let's be honest, a little more worthy, a little more valuable. When God chose the teams, yeah, he picked me first. 
But what I find fascinating, and this is what's always great, is when rabbits try and encourage Eeyores on how to deal with their Eeyoreness, they just try to tell them to not think of themselves less. They think less, it's not think, to not think less of themselves, but to think more of themselves, right? That's the, that's the response of the, no, no, you don't understand. You're thinking badly about yourself. Think you're awesome and everything will be fine. That's, that's the false self-confidence piece, which never actually works. It's just a flip version of the same old thing. One of the, the natural dispositions of folks that are, I've got what you don't have and what I have really matters is that they oftentimes won't do what they don't want to do because, well, what I have is important, really important. There's important things for me to do. I'm special, more special than you. And so the self-absorbed, the self-preoccupation, the self-fascination with our own gifts or their, our own set of gifts becomes this thing that usually creates clubs or, frankly, churches even, where everyone finds themselves kind of gathered around the like, yeah, we all agree, this set of three, four, one, two gifts are the gifts. They are the ones we really want to kind of enjoy. Everyone else are just minions to do the grunt work about us. Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians, they had this fascination, this preoccupation with the gifts of tongues, and maybe a little bit with interpretation. Seems like it's mostly tongues. As kind of the ultimate coveted spiritual gifts. And, I, you know, we won't do a survey today, but I'd be curious about it if we were like, hey, so what about RCC? What would you say are the, you know, the coveted, you know, the top two, three gifts at RCC? They'd be like, oh, the, you, you, want, you want that. That's where you want to be. Well, I took some ganders here. You know, I'm thinking if you came from maybe a, a Presbyterian, like particularly PCA um, kind of background, like that the top gift, the like the gift you want to have thing, that's not tongues. <laughs> it would probably be something like, right, knowledge. Maybe the gift of knowledge, you know, like a little some theological clarity and perspective, like kind of TR methodology. If you're from a kind of Bible evangelical, you know, kind of non-denom thing, more like ours, probably somewhere on the like, Teaching gifts, you know, preaching, which could be some of the articulated prophecy. So preaching and teaching. For, for many, maybe my Baptist conversations I've had with my Baptist friends, Baptistic directions, uh, probably looking at something more like evangelism, right? Like how many people got saved last week, you know, and we're, how many were you a part of? We're going to target some people to become to Jesus this week. And so evangelism would probably be at the top of the list. If you come from charismatic type context, you're probably the charismatic church is probably looking at miracles and healing and gifts of tongues and interpretation, of course, and, and prophecy that's in future telling, not forth telling. Um, but then you've got, you got church context where it's like it's leadership, right? We're making leaders, we're building leaders, 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 leaders. So leadership gifts, that's the gifts you want. Or maybe you come from like a mainline denomination piece where, where, where some of the emphasis has shifted or, or moved towards, you know, kind of a social justice move towards, hey, listen, we want to have people who show mercy, people that are hospitable. And those are really the great gifts. We're going to raise those up and celebrate them. Or, or maybe you come from a context or there's churches that are kind of focused around the area of, of mission or global mission. It's like, we're going to be the kind of people that are starting new movements, that are engaging in planting churches. And so we want apostleship type gifts. That's, that's how it usually plays out, right? And there's usually a mix of those in, in different kinds of contexts. So, so what are we? I think it's important to ask the question. I think it's important to think about it. Because my suspicion is, is if we are A, B, and C, and you are G, T, and R, you're probably going, I don't need to be here, or the important things are going to be handled by someone else. And what Paul would say is, no, 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 no. That's not how it works at all. As a matter of fact, pride and shame are both, uh, both self-preoccupations, either direction. They're an invitation to look at what I do, what I have in order to matter. And we don't want any part of that here because there's another, a better, a truer response, a third response. And it's not self-preoccupation, it's self-forgetfulness. It's, it's humility. This is how God calls us to the gospel as a gospel response to our giftedness, and that's to forget ourselves, to be self-forgetful. And we see this in verse 22 to 26. It says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts 
are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Did you hear the gospel way in there? It's a fundamentally a different picture than the other two, right? Of, of, of self-preoccupation, either, but I'm worthless or I really, really matter. Is that these are someone who's weaker or we see them as indispensable? Is there someone that seems less honorable? Their, their gift seems to be less impressive, less obvious, less on the top of the list of whatever the list may be. We bestow greater honor. They're the unpresentable, the, the ones that are like just, they're, they're, they're relegated to the invisible hidden places. We treat with greater presentableness. Literally, we clothe them with presentableness. How does God give honor to anything and anyone that lacks honor? Through the other people in the body through one another, through, through, through providing and, and giving an opportunity for those who have presentableness, who have the top things, the things that are most prized in any given context, and saying those gifts, their pri- one of their primary responsibilities is to bestow honor on the ones that otherwise just won't show up, either for lack of confidence, of social status, or of even prestige within the context. They are indispensable. Depending on how you read certain commentaries, one of the things they talk about is like indispensable is kind of the sense of, of course, well, everyone matters, right? But that's like, that's not a first century way of thinking. It's very American, very 21st century. Everyone matters, so of course they're indispensable. No, 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 it's not like sentimentality. It's actually saying that God has given different people different kinds of gifts and even different kind of dynamics within their gifts so that they would be a gift to one another, which means that there are certain gifts that are like difficult gifts or people that have given gifts that are maybe like, they're under it. I remember, this was years ago, um, there was a family in our church who, um, who just had just series of difficult things with their kids, with their own personal health. And I just, at one point, I, just, I, was, I was sitting with them and I said, listen, I, I just need to say this because I've, I've sensed it from the Lord for a while, but like, like some of what you, because they were, I'm sorry, they were lamenting the fact that they weren't able to serve as much as they felt like they should. I said, listen, one of the gifts, one of maybe the main gift that God has given you, I'm sorry, given us in you, is that you are suffering in front of us. And you're doing so with dignity and with, with joy, with, with honesty and integrity, with, with, with fear, but with faith. And that family's faith, the way that they looked to God, I mean, definitely spiritual gift of faith, no doubt about it. The way that they looked out to see the rescue of God coming when it looked pretty bleak, almost in every context, was beautiful. That is not a presentable gift. They they were costly to our community. They're like, I feel like, oh, we feel like we're a drain on the resources of the church. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're a certain kind of gift to the people of our church. That's what it means. It means you raise up, you celebrate the things that are not, not, not stage stuff or not, 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 the, not the high ones, the one, two, three. That's what it means to bestow greater honor. So we have people at our church, people like Kathleen Dixon. I don't think she's here too, Catherine Dixon. Um, who has the gift of administration. She came to me, uh, I don't think she's here, it's here. Um, maybe in the back. She came to me on the, at the uh, ministry fair and she says, hey, I read through all the things on here and I don't see myself on here. You don't want me in a classroom with kids? <laughs> she's like, but I can administrate the life out of anything. So if you've got a place where we need some kind of very particular administrative follow through, like be on it. And the answer was, oh, absolutely we do. And so for those of you who serve in kids, what you probably have had is you've had Catherine reach out to you, touch base with you, make sure that you're actually on the run, on the roll, like you're rotating through. Everything is running smoothly. If you talk to someone like Kim, who's had to kind of help with those pieces, you know, like Catherine has been amazing. Now, now Catherine doesn't, you know, ask me to say this, she'd probably be, you know, like embarrassed if I, she knew I was going to do it, which I didn't tell her I was going to do it. But 
But no, y'all wouldn't know, right? I mean, she's not going to come up here and share a testimony about how she was like, you know, sending an email to this person because they were, hadn't responded to whether they were going to serve kids. You know, it's not like, whoa, flashy. But it, but it changes the way in which there's peace on Sunday mornings in which, which kids are cared for and there's no surprises for their teams of volunteers. And it matters. There's order because of Catherine's gift. It matters. Norma Street, Pamphlo, people with gifts of mercy that like they just, they leak mercy. Like you're with them and you're like, I just feel loved. I'm not even sure why. I just feel loved by you. I didn't know I needed to be loved today, but you really love me and you're, you're hearing me. I feel so safe to tell you the things. I don't know why I'm saying this out loud to you, but apparently you're going to get it. Do you know those people? I have some people who just, it's not showy. There's about 10 women that are pretty much consistently are always giving, uh, always uh, preparing meals when the, the, like the meal calendar thing comes out with particular needs. Like pretty much there's a set of 10 and there's others that kind of step in and out. But there's a set of 10, they're like faithful as days long. Y'all, if you've had anything happen in your life since you've been at RCC, like they've shown up with a meal at your house. And it's, it's invisible and it's visible to the Lord and it's visible to us who are experiencing the gift of that. We look at other people's gifts not to, we look at others' gifts not to establish our own sense of value. So when we look at someone's gift, it's not to say, okay, well, where do I stand? Where do I rank on that? How much do I matter in light of that? Or to be like, hey, maybe I really matter a lot more. But as a means to encourage and to honor them. That's what the scripture invites us. That's what a community looks like making sure that they are brought into the most honorable light. Now, it's amazing you don't have to be special to bring people into honorable light. All can bestow honor. So, how do you know that there isn't division in the body? Everyone's operating out of their gifting. No one's withholding, no one's judging. There's unity, there's a sense of belonging, there's an offering. People are honoring others and they're receiving that honor. They're going, oh my gosh, I'm so glad. That's exactly what I was hoping you'd experience by being with me or by receiving that thing. So we're not shying away from the impact that we have with the gift of the spirit that he's given us. It's his work anyway. So we say, amen, I'm glad. That's what, that's what it was for. And we seek every opportunity to say, I see you. And I want to celebrate the work of God in you and how it affected me or how I watched it affect someone else. That's how we become the kind of community of people that stands apart from every other community. That, because every other community that's not a community of faith is saying, like, how do I get mine? How do I matter here? But that's not what the church does. The church says, in Christ Jesus, I matter. I know I matter because of Jesus. He's given me some gifts. And I get to share them. This is fantastic. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I see you? How can I offer me to you? So once we're united, caring for each other, and then, of course, humble, because we know that we've been raised in him, it's because of him, well, then we're free to do what seems very peculiar in the end of this particular passage, which is to ask for the higher gifts. I know. I mean, it just sounds like I just blew everything I just said before, but I haven't, so just stay with me. We get to desire the greater gifts. Verse 27 says, now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So again, there's a corporate and individual nature to this whole thing. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administrating, and various gifts of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? It's rhetorical. No. Are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do, do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Well, now, wait a minute. There's higher gifts? I thought we just spent the last 30 minutes trying to go, like, there's not higher gifts, guys. Like, there's just... 
there's not higher gifts, everything's cool, like all gifts matter, everything's indispensable. Didn't we just say that? Paul, what are you doing? What's happening here? What he's saying here is that all gifts are equally valued and are equally needed. But not all gifts are, have equal impact or, or scope or effect. They just, they don't. Some gifts have a broader communal and multiplying effect. That's one of the reasons why some of the speculation around the, uh, the Ephesians chapter 4 section just has the five, right? This has been given to the you know, first apostles, not first, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and um, shepherds. And so it's like there's only five on that particular list. It's like, well, is that the real five list? Or is it here? There's like 12 or 13 on this one. So it's to say like those, those particular gifts are multiplying gifts. Not better. They're just... They just have a different kind of scope and effect. They're, they're broader. So why do you earnestly desire the higher gifts? Why do we have spiritual gifts? Quiz. What's the purpose? Verse 7, what did it say? It's for the common good. So what he's saying then is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is an opportunity for greater good for the common, for all common people. So the common, there's an opportunity for greater common good on, with certain gifts th than others. And so you should desire that. You should desire for the common good to be spread and multiplied as much as it possibly can in every possible context. And so he gives an order here, right? He says first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then, then, then. Then it goes real broad, like administration. It's like, well, wait, where did mercy go? And where does it fit in that list? And so what, there's so much, there's so much discussion about this section of, of it's fascinating. And, and literally, like a lot of people agree and fundamentally disagree on what this means and looks like. This is, this is my best understanding based on the reading and people that I trust. And that is, desire to couple any gift with a gift that is going to multiply. And it's desire. Do we talk about who chose? Who chooses? You ain't got no power. You can't make it happen. God's going to choose. He's going to offer it to you if he's going to choose to offer it. But he gets to choose. And so you can desire earnestly to seek to say, hey, how can I have the gifting that I know I have be multiplied more? And so if you have the gift of knowledge then desire the gift of teaching, that it would broaden your impact, that you'd have an opportunity to, to offer it to more people than, than just maybe a few or, or, or one. If you have a gift of helps or a gift of hospitality, well, maybe desire the gift of prophecy to come with it, of, of truth-telling, that, that when people are in your home, you find yourself saying, hey, can I tell you what the times are? Can I tell you how Jesus is intersecting that time right now in your life? And and in my life, and I tell you what really matters the most. And they have gifts of mercy. Maybe desire the gift of apostleship to, to turn areas that are, that are broken in the world that really matter into movements of healing that, that, are, that are not just one step, but are, but are catalytic. God would give vision for new frontiers. It's not better. It just has opportunity. And so... There's a sense of going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I desire more common good. You're putting the desire within me for more common good. So would you give as you choose that I may respond with what you give to me? What do we need? I think RCC needs more evangelists. We can pray to that end. So how does the gospel deal with our pride and shame? At the end of the day, how does this end up actually happening? It's pretty straightforward. Verse 24 says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So God has so composed the body, he's given greater honor to the part that lacked it. And as I said, of course, he does that through one another. So how does God deal in the gospel with our pride? Well, you see the part that lacked honor 
the, the, the weaker, the, the less honorable, the unpresentable. Yeah, that, that's you and me. In the story of the gospel, that's, that's us. Except we weren't just weaker. No, no, we're, we're fully weak. We're, we're helpless. We're not just have less honor. We have no honor. We have nothing, nothing to present ourselves with. We're not unpresentable. We're deserving of ultimate rejection, of eternal scorn. And so when we find ourselves seeing Jesus choosing to lose all reputation, to become one without honor, to lose all presentableness for our sake because he had to, because of love, because he chose to, it melts our hearts. It tells us we don't cling to something to matter. It's not I have the great gift so that I matter. No, it's because he had to die for me. He became unpresentable so that I would be presentable. It's the only reason I am. And it melts our pride. It's exactly how the gospel melts our shame, too, by giving greater honor. If you're sitting here in general in shame, let alone in sense of spiritual gift shame, where you're like, I don't have much to offer or something significant going on, you need to know, like, the king of kings, the author of life, God himself chooses to declare to you that I see you from the cross. He's looking and saying, I I see you, I I choose you. And Paul says, you're indispensable to the kingdom I came to die for. You're indispensable to the kingdom I came to die for. So look at my sacrifice. Look what I'm choosing to do to tell you that what you have to offer matters. It matters to me. And it will matter to those who receive it. Becoming fully presentable to the the Father. That is what makes us valuable. And so we don't have to go clean to try and matter. We don't have to cling to try and become valuable. We get to come to the Father in light of what he's already done. And this is exactly what this table reminds us of. This is the table of grace. This is the table on which we get to be bestowed honor on when we have no honor. This is the table for those that are weaker, which is all of us. For the one who came, who made himself weak so that we would be able to be strong in him. And so when we come and receive these elements in a minute, like come and receive them in the reality of what it is, that you were indeed weak and unpresentable and without honor, and now you get to come with your head up by grace, receiving from him and saying thank you. And in response, the real thank you of the receiving these elements is to turn around, having received them, and to go out in the world and go out amongst us as a community and say, I now have something to offer you because of him. And I'm developing that, I'm working on that, I'm moving towards it. That's, that's the gift of this table. So as you come and receive it, like receive that from him, the gift, the spiritual gift, and the eternal gift that is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you saw fit to give your church gifts so that it would thrive, not just thrive amongst itself, but but, but fundamentally thrive in a way that would begin to manifest the outside a totally different way to live, total different reality. And so we want to be that church. We want to become the kind of people who are free to live out a calling in community. And part of our calling is played out in the reality of the gifts that you've bestowed upon us. And so we, we receive those gifts with gratitude. We receive them, though, with, with the weight that they mean and the stewardship that they entail. And we ask that you would do powerful and mighty things in us and amongst us as a community. That there's no, that there wouldn't be a 80-20 rule here, but that there would be everyone gifted moving towards one another and towards the world with purpose. And that's, that's the kind of community that changes the world. Thank you that when we were unpresentable, you made us presentable in Christ. And so we receive these gifts in his name. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. So come forward and receive the body and blood of Jesus.